Well, good evening, everybody. For those who don't know me, my name is Sandra, and I'm Nick's wife and Grace and Rose's mom. <laughs> it's a great honor to be here tonight. Actually, when Mike invited me to preach today, I was at the same time happy and nervous. Well, I was happy because if I could choose any preaching topic... I would choose this one, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the center of our Christian faith. Actually, Paul said to one of his churches that he decided to know nothing else among them than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But I was nervous because it is very hard. I think it's almost impossible to really explain what went on on that day the day we call Good Friday. And because today is a short service, I will not attempt to go to all the details of the events that happened on that day. It will be more of a reflection, a meditation on the love of God demonstrated in the Calvary. Well, before meditating on the events, I would like to start with a story just to illustrate what, is God's, what, what does God want for us to respond? How should be our response when we talk about the cross? Well, three years ago, when my older daughter was three years old, she was in preschool, and I decided to bake her favorite biscuits. See, these biscuits are very hard to make. They are Brazilian biscuits. And so you need to boil the milk. And after you put the hot milk in the flour, and you need to go through the dough while the dough is hot. So I normally include my girls in the cooking, but this is just not a kid-friendly recipe. I decided to make it while she was in school. I didn't want her to get burned. And my expectation was that she would arrive from school and be thrilled with the biscuits, thanking me and eat the biscuits, praising me for my amazing work. Well, that is what actually happened. She arrived at home and saw the biscuits. And so she asked me, Mom, when did you cook these biscuits? And I said, while you were in school. And then she cried. And she said, but I wanted to cook with you. So I spent the next few minutes explaining to her why I cooked without her. And I told her about the risks and the heat involved. And eventually I said, Grace, my darling, the biscuits are red. They are done. The only thing you can do now is to be thankful and eat the biscuits. Now, eventually she put herself together and she ate the biscuits. But I never forgot that day. Do you know why? Because it is the same with the work of the cross. When it comes to the work of the Calvary, our only response is believing and partake from it. In the same way that I did not invite my daughter to help me preparing that biscuit, we are not invited by God to help with anything regards redemption. You see, we are co-workers in preaching the gospel, representing the kingdoms, healing the sick. But when it comes to the work of the Calvary, all we can do is to believe and to partake from it. We can't add to it, and we cannot take from it. It is done. It is finished. But do we believe it? And that is the most important question you and I would ever answer. Do I believe that Jesus went to the cross for me? And do I believe that his sacrifice was enough? Now, this response is the same for all of us. It doesn't matter if you are a new believer or if you've been a Christian for 30 years. 
we are all called to believe. And once we believe, we are all called to live by our faith. Well, I need to confess that I went for many years in my Christian life without fully believing in what happened on the cross for me. And I was carrying condemnation and shame. And um, God needed to sit with me many times, the same way that I sat with my daughter. And I would hear the Holy Spirit saying, Sandra, my darling, why are you carrying all this condemnation? Why are you carrying all this shame? It is finished. It is done. Just believe and partake from it. And my prayer today is every one of us will hear the Holy Spirit saying, it is finished. It is done. Just believe and partake. Well, with all that in mind, we'll turn our hearts for the events before the crucifixion. And we'll contemplate Jesus walking from one garden to another, from the garden of Gethsemane to the garden where he was buried. And just for us to know exactly where we are and where we are going, I put the two verses, um, our address. Yeah, we'll start there in John. Go back. We start there in John 18, verse 1, that says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. We will start here and we will finish in John 19, 41. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And we all know what is in between these gardens. There is a cross, and we will we stop there. Well, starting from the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, after the Last Supper, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he took, took three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. <laughs> And uh, during his prayer time, he was very full of anguish. And he actually said to his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, the degree of pain that Jesus felt in the garden, it's revealed in one tiny detail. Jesus sweat blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through painful and traumatic experience in my life. But I never got to the point of sweating blood. So I cannot even imagine Jesus' pain in that garden. It was in that garden that he decided to drink from the cup of wrath and judgment, the cup that we deserved. And in return, he would grant us his cup, the cup of blessing and fellowship, the cup that we did not deserve. Well, after this stressful prayer meeting, a prayer meeting where Jesus was the only one praying, because the three disciples were sleeping. Well, after that, Judas arrived. And we all know he didn't come by himself. He brought a crowd of soldiers and priest guarders armed with clubs and swords. And then he betrays Jesus with a kiss and gave him over to the soldiers. And then Jesus experienced another painful event a false kiss, a false friend who betrays him. Now, it's very important to know that Jesus was not caught by the soldiers. 
Have you ever watched a movie of someone being caught by the police? It happens a bit like that. The person is running and the police comes and surrounds the person. And so he has nowhere to run and he's caught against his will. Or that was not what happened in that garden. Jesus' arrest was an arrest like no other. And if we read our Bibles, we'll see that his arrest was a bit like that. Jesus first says to his disciples to get ready because the one who betrays him is about to arrive. Then Judas arrives and betrays Jesus. Then Jesus Jesus asks them, what are you looking for? And they say, Jesus the Nazarene. Then Jesus says, I am he. And when Jesus says that, they all fall to the ground by the power of Jesus' words. Well, they don't stay in the ground. They got up, they put themselves together, and they grabbed Jesus. And so Peter decided to defend his Lord. And he drew his sword and cut the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And then Jesus reprimands Peter and heals the servant. And then he gives himself over to the soldiers. Now, I don't know about you, but I can clearly see who was calling the shots on that moment. It wasn't Judas. It were not the soldiers in the gardens, and it was not the devil. Jesus was giving himself. No one had the power to take his life, but he had the power to give it away. And he decided to do so. So they took him. They tortured him. They beat him. And they crucified him. Jesus was one of the three people crucified that day. He died as he lived in the company of sinners. And one of the sinners became a brother. And Jesus promised to meet him at the same day in paradise. Now, while Jesus was suffering the horrid pain of dying on a cross, he was being mocked by the soldiers, the priests, and the people passing by. And the mockery would go like that. Look at this man. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Well, they didn't know, but that was exactly what was happening. In order to save others, Jesus could not and chose not to save himself. He saved us at the expense of his own life. And that's the gospel. And so Jesus, after giving his last breath, he says, it is finished. And then he dies. Now I'd like to unpack this amazing statement. It is finished. It is done. What Mani said once, the Christian life consists not in a big I do, but in a big it's done. So what was done? What was finished that day? Well, on that day, Jesus took upon himself every sin you and I would ever commit. He took upon himself the accusation of the enemy against the human race. He paid the penalty for the transgressions that made us subject to decay, sickness, and health, and and death. He took upon himself the old creation, 
which is fallen and corrupt. He took upon himself the condemnation and the curses of the law. He took upon himself our flesh, our old nature. So Jesus took upon himself the full weight of evil and sin. Now do you know what he did with all the things that were upon him? He crucified them all. On that day, Jesus died for us. He died instead of us, and also we died with him. It was a complete, complete, complete work. And as I said in the beginning, we just need to believe and to partake from it. But I would like to make a pause here to reflect on the motivation behind the cross. Why? Why did the God of the universe left his glory, came here, and die on a cross? What was God's agenda? And the answer is a very simple and short answer. God is love. There is no other way to really explain the cross. Now, this verse, God is love, was written by John. Do you know John was the only disciple who stayed and watched the crucifixion? All the others ran away. They were afraid. They checked out. But John stayed and he watched six hours of horror and pain. And he saw Jesus giving himself without resistance, without pleading for mercy. Actually, when Jesus was on the cross, he was pleading God to forgive the people who were crucifying him. So John saw. He saw loving flesh. He saw loving action. For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible, written by John, the disciple who watched the crucifixion. And he was also the one who wrote, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, what an amazing statement coming from the only disciple who could actually boast about his love for God. He could have said, I'm the only one who stayed. I'm the only one who loves the Lord. But no, he put himself together with all the others when he said, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first. And this really shows us the heart of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not primarily about our love for God, but it's about his love for us while we were still sinners. God loved us so much that he could, couldn't just sit on his glory and watch our destructions. There was something in the heart of God that demanded an answer, and he needed to come and redeem his creation. Why? Because he is love. And that is clearly seen on the cross. Well, now we are arriving at our destination, in our last garden. And it says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new tomb, in which no one 
had ever been laid. So they took Jesus' body from the cross and they buried him in a garden, like sowing a seed. Now just to think that the whole drama of the human race is started in a garden. When the first man ever created, Adam, decided to follow his own will and satisfy his own appetite. And when he ate that forbidden fruit, the whole creation fell with him. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Can you see his tomb in a garden? Well, that garden would witness the resurrection after three days. And on that day, the fall would be broken and a new creation would be born. And the Bible says in Romans 5, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Everything that Adam lost, Jesus brought back to us, and much more. He really set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But the question still remains, do we believe it?